0: odyssey celebrates the class of 2024 brought to you by t-mobile you can
1: count on t-mobile to help you stay connected on america's largest 5g network
0: the following is a special king of ox sports presentation welcome to the strike zone on king of ox presented by gray bar gray bar your distributor for electrical and datacom needs
2: It is our first edition this year of the Strike Zone. We will do this on Thursday nights when available, when the Cardinals are not playing. The 7 o'clock hour will be known here as the Strike Zone, part of Sports Open Line, Gray Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. My name is Matt Pauly, As always, if you want to chime in, you can do so by calling, texting 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. You can also uh, tweet into the program at Matt Pauly on air. M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Here's what we got coming up uh, this hour. Dan Reardon's is going to join us in about uh, fifteen minutes. He is our golf insider. We'll get his thoughts on uh, day one of the Masters, and then we'll talk some soccer later on this hour as well. Max Brados, who is going to be uh, on the call on uh, MLS Season Pass and Apple TV Plus, he is going to uh, join us at seven thirty-five, and we'll get his thought on what's going to be coming up on Saturday as City SC will be in action against Seattle. Let's go ahead and do our building the future. It is sponsored by Gray Bar, your distributor. For electrical and data communication needs. So, pretty good start. Pretty good start for Jordan Walker to his major league career. He has played in all six games. He is eight for 24. That's good for a 333 average. He has one home runs, five RBIs, two doubles has a slugging percentage at 542, an on-base percentage of 360. That gives him a 902 OPS to get things going. Pretty good start for uh, Jordan Walker. Would encourage you, by the way, uh, kudos to the Cardinals. They put together a really cool video. Matt Pajeski, sports producer extraordinaire, did you happen to see this on social? I'm throwing this at you, so I don't know if you did. Did you happen to see the social media video that was posted by the Cardinals today that showed uh, Jordan Walker before uh, his opening day experience? No, the mic'd up video. Yeah, did not see it. No, you should have watched it. I would encourage. I uh, I think I retweeted it on my account at Matt Pauly on air, but you can just easily find it on uh, the Cardinals Twitter. It was. I mentioned this earlier when we were talking with, um, with Brian Kennedy, almost the wonderment of Jordan Walker. And here he is, somebody who, admittedly, just six games, tiny sample size. You're going to hear me use the word term sample size over and over and over uh, over the course of the next month or so. But a fantastic start to their major league career for Walker and just a, a great spring training and so much focus on what he's got going. And here he is able to stay down to earth, stay humble, and just take it all in. That's the thing that, something that we as human beings have a hard time with, I think, is when there's a big moment being able to, like, take a step back and take it all in. That's what they always tell you. It's been a while. I've been married for a while now. But this is what they tell you uh, before your wedding. And if you are somebody who's engaged, this is what a million people are going to tell you about your wedding day. Take the moment to take like those internal snapshots, like look around and look what's going on and pause your day and look at, at and just take it in for a second. Because if you don't do it, the day is going to pass you by and you're not fully going to be able to experience it. So I would apply that standard to what's going on with Jordan Walker. I think he's taking it all in, I think he's doing a really good job, and we would have to talk to him to know for sure. But just watching him and seeing the way he seems to be letting it come to him is really cool. So like this video that the Cardinals posted, um, he goes up to the Clydesdale and pets the Clydesdale. He's uh, talking with everybody, uh, watching the the Cardinals Hall of Famers and the Baseball Hall of Famers make their way uh, out uh, out of you know in the parade, and he's shaking hands. and I think it was Tommy Edmonds says to him, "Hey, you get to keep the truck." And he kind of believed him for a second before uh, before Edmund told him, "No, you don't. You don't actually get to, uh, to to keep the truck that you come out on." But it's it was just it was really cool to see uh, the way that he seemingly took it all in. And it's been fun. And I've mentioned this a ton of times, but I'll mention it again. I just love the fact that he was so excited to be able to give his home run ball to his dad, and how excited he was that his parents were able to see him hit that home run before they uh, headed home. They were in St. Louis for for that entire series. So uh, there's something special about that first opening day for players, and there he is at 20 years old and just, just taking it all in in a really cool way. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens at, at some point in time the league's going to adjust to him. The league probably already is. He's actually talked about that a little bit, how he has felt starting pitchers, not starting pitchers, but pitchers overall, he has felt pitchers kind of adjust to him uh, through the first six games. Those adjustments are going to become even more pronounced moving forward. And at some point, pitchers are going to start to find some things that work against him. And he's going to have to adjust to the adjustment. And it's just a game. And whether you've got six games of major league experience or six years of major league experience that adjustment and adjusting to the adjustment thing always continues on. And it's, it's more so now than it's ever been before, just because of all the data and all the, uh, all the ways to analyze things that exist in the game now. Um, And yeah, so you've just, but at the same time, Now, that works both ways. It works because there's hitters have scouting reports on pitchers. Pitchers have scouting reports on hitters. Uh, You're able to, after every single one of your at-bats, you're able to go grab the iPad, and you're able to look at your last at-bat and see what they were trying to do to you so you can try to react to that in real time. That's When I talk to players, especially players who have been around for a while, something that I hear a lot is, as the game has changed the adjustment time has changed where the adjustments used to be made week to week series to series game to game. Well, now the adjustments are being made at bat to at bat. And that's one of the areas that the, the game of baseball absolutely is a little bit different. I'm looking forward to this series this weekend. Um I don't think the Brewers are especially a good team. I just don't. Now, They've got some really good young talent that Brewers fans I know are excited about, and they've had a fantastic start to their season. They are five and one, having taken two of three against the Cubs, and then they swept through the Mets. And the Mets, the Mets sweep was really impressive. They won those first two games by a combined 19 nothing score, and then they're down in the third game, and they're able to come back and tie it and then eventually win it uh, 7-6. And you know, we talk about Jordan Walker, and at some point he's going to hit a rookie wall. Well, there's a bunch of guys with the Brewers who so at some point are probably going to hit a rookie wall, and it's how those guys are going to be able to uh, to kind of bust through that on their own. But right now, if for, for folks in Milwaukee, I think they're pretty excited about this young group of players they have, uh, whether it's a, a Bryce Tereng, a Garrett Mitchell, a Joey Weimer. Uh, These are all really young, really talented, good players who are getting an opportunity right now. Because the Brewers didn't do much. Uh, The Brewers didn't do much in the offseason, and I thought the Cubs did more than the Brewers. I think the Cubs are a better team than Milwaukee. But I'll be wrong on that if those young guys that I just mentioned all really put it together a little bit sooner than anybody expected them to uh, to put it together. So this is going to be the first opportunity this weekend for the Cardinals to challenge themselves uh, against an NL Central team. And while I might think the Cubs are better than the Brewers, generally speaking, the general national thought is that the Brewers are the second-best team in the division. So going from that standpoint... It's our first opportunity to see the Cardinals play against that, uh, that team that many people think will be their biggest challenge inside of the division. It's also the first opportunity to see Wilson Contreras and William Contreras play against each other as divisional opponents. Uh, the brothers were uh, big acquisitions. You can make the argument that they were the key acquisitions uh, for each team. Obviously for the Cardinals, uh, Wilson Contreras was the biggest acquisition of the offseason. William Contreras probably uh, very much the same thing. Uh, when you look at what uh, the Brewers are able to do over the course of the offseason. So after the off day today, the uh, Cardinals, the Brewers, they're going to open up a series against each other coming up tomorrow. 7-10 first pitch tomorrow night. That means our coverage is set to begin at 6-15. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk uh, about the Masters, which is underway. Dan Reardon, our golf insider, will join us in just a moment as the Graybar Sports Open Line and the Strike Zone continues here on KMOX.
0: Odyssey celebrates Father's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to
1: help you stay connected on America's largest five G network. All the news and all that matters to you. The voice of St. Louis, KMOX.
2: A great our sports open line rolls on here on KMOX. The Masters underway. We're through uh, one round, and uh, we're very happy to uh, welcome on to the program. He is uh, KMOX Golf Insider Dan Reardon. Dan, thanks so much for taking some time with us. How are you?
3: You're uh, you're welcome, Matt, Matt. And I'm I'm fine. I suppose I actually have a dead rental car, but that's okay. Uh, um, but and let me correct myself right off the bat on the 5:45 report. I reported Tiger in at one over seventy three. I missed the fact that he had bogeyed eighteen, and uh, he actually is two over seventy four. So I want to correct that information right away.
2: What's uh, obviously not the kind of day that Tiger wanted, but anytime Tiger's there, he's going to be uh, a big headline. What's your what's your takeaway from his first day?
3: Well, the, the 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 book on him today was he could not putt inside ten feet. Uh, he had five bogeys on the round, and uh, most of them were. Uh, makeable putts that he just didn't convert. Uh, he thought he hit the ball reasonably well. He, he needed to hit it closer to the to the hole, I suppose. When you're having putting problems, but physically, um, he said he's sore, which is always going to be the case. But there was nothing negative about Tiger uh, when the round was over. And I and I said, you know, uh, to someone earlier, it was sort of interesting because I was out there as he was coming off of 18, and I was a little surprised that the gallery was a little less excited about Tiger mm-hmm. than I expected him to be. And I don't know if that's score-related, age-related, or maybe, maybe their expectations are diminished a little bit. But it was not – there was a good gallery following him, but it was not the kind of sort of frenzy that you have around Tiger. And that was certainly the case last year.
2: Yeah, Cards is 74. What does he have to do in day two to even make the cut?
3: It's so hard to to make any judgment because we know that tomorrow morning – we have a chance of a little rain. We know that starting tomorrow afternoon, Armageddon sets in on a weather front. And so Tiger goes out uh, pretty early on the, uh, I'm sorry, pretty late on the day tomorrow. So he gets the bad draw. It's the guys that played late today. who are going to go out early tomorrow when the weather should be favorable. So to say Tiger needs to shoot 70 or 69, um, that's going to be a very difficult task. If if the forecast holds, do we get rain and, and, and thunderstorms and wind and all kinds of circumstances uh, certainly on Friday afternoon. So I, I would think he's got a pretty steep hill to climb because we re- really did have good scoring uh, right off the bat. I think he's in the he's not even in the top fifty at this point in time. So it has to be a, a sizable jump in performance for Tiger, and he has that capability. As I said, he looks fit. He looks like he is able to do all of the golf-related things. So every you know he can use his head here and do wonderful things
2: three-way tie at the moment at the top of the leaderboard two of those golfers are two of the biggest names in golf and Brooks Kepka and John Rahm also uh Victor Hovland's in there as well I mean that that's good for golf when you've got those names at the top of the leaderboard
3: yeah and, and it stays pretty dressed up the rest of the way you know uh you have Cameron Young at 500 par you have Brooks Kepka in uh as you said at at seven you can go down to Jordan Spieth at three along with Tony Finau you know the only name the only name you would expect to see uh, in that group would probably be uh, Rory McIlroy and he finished even on today's round so he needs to uh, step it up but Rory goes out early tomorrow so he's he's in the best of the draw in that situation but it's not just uh, the good trio at the top it's really a good leaderboard uh even the amateur uh, Bennett is is up there in in the mix so it was a very good opening day i just wish that we knew that we were going to have better better weather and we could play out this scenario the rest of the way because once we get to Saturday, Saturday in particular, it's cold, it's windy, and it's rainy, and that's that's going to negatively impact the, the entire outcome of this event.
2: This is the first opportunity, really, where we've seen PGA Tour golfers and live golfers come together. How much of a story has that been?
3: Zero. Absolutely zero. I mean, we could say that Kevin Now withdrew today, but that had nothing to do with LIV, and, and I was in the interview room when Brooks came in and there was a reporter who tried to draw him into the conversation, he said, you know, Brooks, I I noticed you're not wearing a logo on your shirt, meaning you're not wearing your team logo from LIV. And Brooks said, well, I do have a logo. It says Nike. And the reporter pushed him a couple more times and Brooks said, look, I'm not going there and just moved on. So I, I think the players probably have a general agreement that they're going to make this the masters tournament. And they're not going to make this a political statement for either side of the equation. Now, whether that's going on, but behind the scenes, we may hear that later on. But I get no sense at all that the players are involved in that controversy this week.
2: Did the tournament probably make a big statement when they when it started by Greg Norman not being invited?
3: Uh, that, that's been done already uh, with the Open Championship last year, so I, I think that's probably not as big a deal. I think more importantly is that Fred Ridley and his pre-tournament press conference said that the, the, the qualification procedures for the Masters for next year will be much the same as they are this year, meaning that if the World if the World Golf Organization doesn't give ranking points, uh, and, and uh, let's use Kepskaz as an example, let's say he doesn't finish as brilliantly as he started, he could be playing in his last Masters simply because he has no way to get in. He's not a former champion. He's not uh, not ranked in the top 50 in the world by this time next year. So that's that's where this all kicks in. Uh, But like I said, Ridley handled that, I thought, reasonably well in in basically saying, we're not changing the rules. We'll keep letting people do what we've always done.
2: The the one person who did kind of push back in a big way today was Sergio Garcia. He didn't want to answer the questions, and, and he made it very clear. My take on this is that if you go get that big paycheck because you're going to go play in that other tour, like the cost of that is you're going to have to answer some questions, even if it's the masters. Am I, am I right or am I wrong in having that thought?
3: Well, I think that I think players in a public setting are always have a responsibility to answer questions. I mean that, you know, they are entertainers and part of the process of being an entertainer is to be in front of the public and the press is the link between the, the, the athletes in this case and, and the, uh, the public. So no, I, I don't defend Sergio. The only thing I would say in his defense is he didn't want to stir it up. In other words, he thought he was better off not answering a question than saying something that would uh, create more controversy. And and I think, like I said, I think there's sort of an understanding among the players. These guys don't all hate each other. Uh, In many cases, they're still very good friends. But I think there's probably a general understanding that took place uh, between the two groups. And you mentioned Greg Norman. If there would have been somebody in here to stir the pot, it would have been Norman, quite honestly. Uh, and I'm just speculating, Matt. I, I I don't know that for a fact. I just know that when I saw Kepka responding, uh, it seemed like there was a plan in place and and they were going to stick to that plan.
2: KMX golfing center Dan Reardon continuing to join us. We mentioned some of those names at the top of the leaderboard. What's the name? Who's the guy whom we maybe didn't talk about who you think their game can really progress through these next few days and might be contending for a championship come Sunday?
3: Well, you know, a guy that has not played particularly well at the Masters but had a decent opening round is Justin Thomas, and he's a two-time major winner. He's just never performed particularly well here at the the Masters. And quite honestly, Brooks Kepka fit into that description until the round today. And I'm not talking about the last couple of years when he's been battling injuries. Kepka, since his win in St. Louis, has never really shown up at at the Masters and put up the kind of performance that you think from a guy that was a specialist in winning majors, two PGA championships, two U.S. Opens, in a very short window. Um, So JT fits into that uh, category as well. He He has two PGA championships. He has played well in the Open championship. He's played well in the U.S. Open. But he's never been, you know, a, a guy that was sitting in that, that group of ten near the top of the leaderboard. Uh, Tony Finau is a good name to look at. He's also in the mix. Certainly, we have to throw Jordan Spieth into that situation. Jordan had sort of a, a strange round. He got to four under, then he played his way down at the start of the back nine to one uh, uh, under, and then he played his way back up to three uh, three under. There's a variety. That's why I say the quality of the leaderboard. If everything would be eagle, e- uh, equal, equal. The quality leaderboard is so good that we can get a good performance out of, I would say, anybody in red numbers. And, and the, the final total, you know, we had more than 30 players under par, and they're all within six of, of shots of the lead. Um, and this is a course that, that they know what they want here. They will set it up on Sunday for the players to score well. And they'll probably set it up tomorrow, perhaps, to be a little tougher than it was today. You know, John Rahm actually went, Green by Green talked about which hole locations were difficult and which uh, hole locations were easy, and he thought the course was a little a little bit more gentle and treating the uh, the golfers than they expected.
2: The last thing for you, and that's interesting. How much you know when it comes to hole placement and things like that, and just the way they set up the course on a on a day by day basis. How much of those changes are completely pre planned, and how much of them are Um, reactions to the way the the tournament's going?
3: Ordinarily, particularly at Augusta, not only are they pre-planned, but the players know them from years past. You know, the the Sunday hole locations are so much a classic part of this this tournament that they would be pre-planned. But I have seen at at U.S. Opens and and PGA Championships where if they know they've got a lot of weather and they want to deal with green areas that may be low-lying areas that get a lot of moisture, that they will make an adjustment. But I would say, you know, barring something just cataclysmic, and we're not looking at that, I'm pretty sure that whatever the whole locations for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday have already been mapped out, and the one thing they can do at Augusta better than any place else because they play here every year, they can can treat this like NASCAR. They can set this course up to be anything they want it to be, and they can probably come within a couple of shots of predicting what the best score on any given day would be, simply by the manipulation of the hole locations, not the tees, not the length of the rough, not the firmness of the greens, just where they place those pins each and every day.
2: Dan Reardon, he is our uh, KMOX Golf Insider. He is at Augusta. Dan, thank you so much for uh, taking the time, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon.
3: Enjoyed working with you, Matt. Thank you. All right,
2: very good. There's Dan Reardon joining us here on Sports Open Line and the Strike Zone, a Thursday night edition here on KMOX. When we come back... We are going to be joined by Max Bratos He's going to be on the call on uh, Apple TV Plus and uh, MLS Season Pass of the City SC-Seattle matchup that's going to be coming up on Saturday night. We'll get his take on uh, what we should uh, be seeing from City SC coming off their first loss of the year, first loss of their existence. We'll do that next as we continue. It's a Graybar Sports Open line, and it's the Strike Zone on KMOX.
0: Welcome back to The Strike Zone on King KMOX. Presented by Graybar. Graybar, your distributor for electrical and datacom needs. It's like epic music.
2: Yeah, we'll Go on some sort of challenge through the woods. Sword in hand, ready to conquer whatever is in front of me. Welcome back in. Sports Open Line continues here on uh, KMOX. It is a Thursday night edition of the Strike Zone. We do this on Thursday nights when there's no Cardinals baseball during the 7 o'clock hour. Uh, we'll talk some soccer right now. Max Bredos, he is going to be on the call coming up on Saturday night. A late night, by the way. You'll also hear it on our sister station, Y98. Vantage Credit Union game time, 9.30 for uh, for the start Sports producer extraordinaire Matt Pajeski, do you have a uh, a big city watch party ready to go at 9:30 on Saturday night? Let's see, 9:30 Saturday night, that's going to be uh getting cozied up on the couch and getting ready for uh, Easter Sunday time. That's yeah. what, that's what that's, what that's going to be for me, getting getting cozy. Okay, 9 9:30 is the start time. So, a late night, there's going to be a lot of groggy folks in church on uh, Easter Sunday morning after uh, staying up late to uh, to watch soccer on Saturday. But nonetheless, uh, Max Brados he is going to be on the call on Apple TV Plus and MLS Season Pass coming up on Saturday night from Seattle, City SC against Seattle. And we're very happy to welcome uh, Max on to the program. Max, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time with us tonight. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Happy to, to join you and talk what is, uh, has to be the biggest game uh, since opening weekend for St. Louis city first and second in the Western conference. I'm I'm thrilled that I get to call this one.
2: Yeah. What's your excitement level just going into that and, and seeing this team for everything that they've already accomplished so far this season?
1: Well, I think, uh, I mean, the, the gorilla in the room is everyone's expecting St. Louis city to come down to earth. And, uh, I believe some people probably think that the process began with Minnesota United, but I found that to be a pretty interesting matchup for a variety of reasons, because Minnesota, uh, obviously, they play a certain style, but had a huge strategy to go against the way St. Louis City play, and it worked for them. Uh, I thought St. Louis City I probably learned a couple lessons in that game. And Bradley Carnell, I had a chance to speak with earlier this uh, this afternoon uh, about you know the the pitfalls to this this league. And we we're also speaking to Tim Parker. Says so we know we're not going thirty four zero. But it's really interesting to see how they adapt after their first loss because this really could go in two different ways. Uh, I will say, at the end of the day, five wins to start the season in the bank is going to put St. Louis City in, in a wonderful position going through. But I, I, while I think a lot of people feel that they'll wilt and maybe they, they go on a big losing streak, I, there's, a, there's still a, a big confidence around this team. And I, for one, feel that they might have a shot to get a, a huge result because what they've done uh, more than any other I mean they've, they've made history with five straight wins but what they do that most first-year clubs and I'm very reluctant to call them an expansion team because they really don't feel like one in any way from the team to the support to the city uh, but uh, what one thing they've done is go on the road they've been fearless and they've played in challenging places where you're not supposed to win like Portland and Salt Lake, and they've gotten victories. So I'm really intrigued to see it. I, I would not underestimate this St. Louis team uh, under any circumstances.
2: There's been a lot of talk locally in the market that they don't feel like that expansion <laughs> like that. team in large part because of the fact that with COVID they had an extra year to prepare, and obviously they had their uh, City 2 team and kind of the infrastructure was built for an extra year. How much does that go into the amount of success they've had early on?
1: It's a big part of it, and uh, I was talking to my my broadcast partner, Brian Dunseth, and when we did a St. Louis game a couple weeks ago, when they won at Real Salt Lake, uh, I was pretty floored. I knew it was the case, but to hear uh, Bradley Carnell kind of spell it out, that he was there a year early, that uh, Zhao Klaus came six months early, uh, Roman Berkey came, whatever, six months to a year early, played with St. Louis City, too, and these are these are players that could, you know, uh, sacrificed six, nine months in a career when you're in your thirties in this sport is very valuable. I mean, that's, you can't get back, but the fact that they felt uh, strongly enough about this uh, adventure, this, uh, this I, don't, I was going to call it a project. I think that's a terrible word for it, but this, this next chapter in their lives is very telling uh, about what St. Louis city is doing. And it, and it would lead to a very nice start to the season. I think that has to be uh, woven into all of this because there was a feeling, certainly from their their two foundation stones and Edward Leuven to a lesser degree, that these guys have been there for a bit, and they were able to to build from the bottom up and, and get their reps in and get games in and get familiar with the city and everything about St. Louis City. Uh, I've never really heard of that in sports before where, People come that early, but they did it. And I know for, uh, I can't tell you a hundred percent, but I know for uh, pretty, I can say pretty confidently that that's a big part of why they've been successful.
2: Uh, you alluded to it earlier. The fact that they did finally lose for the first time. There's some out there that think maybe it'll start falling back a little bit. Is there a level of importance for city that they respond pretty quickly to that first loss? So all of a sudden things don't start going in that other direction.
1: I would I wouldn't want to put too much pressure on them especially against what looks like outside of St. Louis record wise the best team in in Major League Soccer a Seattle team that not only is playing well but everyone is healthy uh this they're playing at home and obviously have a great home field advantage and that place is going to be pumped for a big MLS night uh but I mean I was watching their game against the Galaxy last week and Raul Ruiz Diaz comes off the bench uh, Xavier Ariaga, who's an Ecuadorian international. Freddie Montero was on that bench. Uh, Nuhu, who was a World Cup player, comes off the bench. So they're pretty loaded. I think um, you would uh, a victory here or a good result for St. Louis City will certainly push the detractors off a little bit. But if they weren't to win this game, I think that is uh, par for the course. But then this team has done extraordinary things all season. So uh, that adds uh, a, certainly a a uh, an element of uh, unexpected uh, abilities to this team. I, I, this I, I can't put my finger on St. Louis City. There's so many guys that that they've discovered that you would that were available to other clubs. Yet the, St. Louis has done their due diligence and brought them in there. And it tells me at some point that maybe the the cracks will start to show. But I'm, again, uh, there will be a bad patch if they can limit that. But I've been so impressed with from Lutz, Spanish steel all the way down about uh, their mission statement and how they built this team that I would tend to think that a really bad stretch can be avoided, but it's a weird, it's a weird uh, league and uh, travel is difficult as they're going to find out in Seattle. And being St. Louis in the West would also mean a lot of travel for them.
2: Max Bright is continuing to join us. Just a couple more questions for him. There's been a lot made of cities, uh, style of play and, and the fact that they are able to neutralize other teams' attacks. How much of a challenge is that going to be against a very good Seattle team?
1: It's a, it's a fascinating matchup because Seattle is at home and they tend, to, and against the Galaxy, they let the Galaxy play. and um, You would think Seattle would want to take this game by the scruff of the neck, but I think that they might be a little cautious here and let – st louis run i think most of these teams are under the impression that st louis will run out of steam at some point because of the way they play and it is a exhausting style and clubs that have played a similar kind of style like the red bulls or philadelphia union to a lesser degree um i've kind of hit a snag a bit i think the red bulls would be a better comparison although it's not apples to apples but if you just watch them play the, the pace of a st louis game is faster than almost any other game or any other club that you would see in MLS. It is by design, but I think there is certainly a a cost to it. But it's messing with opponents, too, because they have to adapt to it. And I think in any sport, it's about attack, counterattack, punch, counterpunch. And St. Louis City wants to kind of be the one that is a little more aggressive. But they could also um, lay some traps and be the countering team, which they've done as well with their press where they can lure teams in. But it's a fascinating tactical matchup. Uh, I think we saw that with Minnesota, and we'll see it again with Seattle. It's gonna. I think it may be a game that will surprise some people in the way that how, how aggressive St. Louis is going to play. Because talking to them earlier, they have told us they're not changing anything. They're gonna they're gonna live up to their identity, and they're gonna play high press, and they're gonna hope to dislodge their opponent.
2: You talk to a lot of soccer fans. What's been the reaction with uh, with Apple TV coming in and MLS season pass? And it's more than just MLS. It's other soccer. It's more than just the matches. There's a lot of uh, features and team content that's available to people uh, who subscribe. How much of the soccer fans that you talk to been enjoying all the content that's available for folks that uh, subscribe?
1: Oh, they've been digging it. And I I was really impressed. And I, I tried to uh, temper my expectations with how it was going to look, but... It's been wonderful to be part of. Uh, It's been a very collaborative approach for everyone who has been part of it. So we take a lot of pride in that and we look out for each other. And we know there's going to be some speed bumps because it's a massive uh, undertaking with, you know, 14 games uh, on a Saturday. And I've been, I've been watching uh, content that I've not been involved with like MLS 360. We're seeing it get better and better. It is going to be a slow burn. Uh, People adjusting their viewing practices to streaming services and to a, a a network that many probably don't have uh it's going to be uh, it's it's going to be a process but I'm very I'm very excited about how it started I know we the soccer community are in an echo chamber but by and large everyone's been impressed I think they were very thoughtful the folks at Apple and MLS on how they did this including the the home radio call which is a really nice feature if you want to see that to to being able to to look at your library of games, it, it's you got to remember Apple's behind it, so tech, technologically wise, it's going to have all the bells and whistles. I'm really excited about what it's going to look like in a year or two because right now we're like a we're we're on Saturdays and the games are going on, but without question, they're going to branch out with programming and it's going to be a full weekly uh production with uh, mls as the centerpiece so it's a good start but there's a lot of work to be done and now the quest now we've got to get it out to the masses and we've got to get fans come in and say i'm really into this and i'm going to have apple tv on the top of of my my channels and i'm going to click on there with with some regularity whether it's to watch games or or see some of the content whether it's for my club or on a national
2: level He is Max Bredos. He'll be on the call for uh, City SC in Seattle on Apple TV Plus and MLS Season Pass this upcoming uh, Saturday. Max, thanks so much for the time. Hopefully we can catch up with you again down the line.
1: Oh Matt looking forward to it. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll get the assignment to do a game there at City Parks. Can't wait to experience that and have my uh, and uh, try some toasted raviolis. I he- I hear they're the bomb.
2: They are the best. Uh the the envi- I'm not a, I, I haven't been to any other uh, MLS facility but I can tell you it's a great environment at City Parks. So hopefully you do make your way to St. Louis real soon. Uh, can't wait. Max is joining us here on Sports Open Line in the Strike Zone here on uh, KMOX. He'll have the call on uh, Apple TV Plus and uh, MLS Season Pass. Of course, you can hear the radio broadcast on our sister station, Y98. You won't want to miss that. 930 is when things get rolling on Saturday night. Late night in Seattle. I guess it's not that late in Seattle, but it's late in St. Louis. All right, one more break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up this edition of Sports Open Line. My name is Matt Pawley. This is KMOX.
0: Welcome back to the Strike Zone on KMOX. Presented by Graybar. Graybar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs
2: starting to wrap up this edition of a gray sports open line it is the strike zone we do that thursday night seven o'clock to eight o'clock let's do what's on deck it's presented by our friends at chesterfield fence and deck as uh, the cardinals are set to open up a three-game weekend series against the milwaukee brewers that is going to uh, begin coming up tomorrow night off night tonight first kind of standard off night of the year they had an off night last week after opening day but that's that's that off day that you have just in case you have bad weather on that first day. Now we're kind of into the groove and the 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 schedule and just the the you know you kind of know what you have over the course of 162 games and just the rhythm of the schedule. That was the word I was looking for. Nonetheless, uh, Cardinals and Brewers are opening up a three-game series coming up tomorrow night at American Family Field. Don't call it Miller Park in Milwaukee. Brandon Woodruff uh, is going to start game one for Milwaukee. Then uh, Eric Lauer and Freddie Peralta. That's who the Cardinals are going to be facing over the course of the three games for the Cardinals. Jack Flaherty pitches in game 1 Flaherty was the one guy who did not give up any runs as a starting pitcher in their first start of the year the Cardinals uh, starting pitching has a above 7 ERA through the first 6 games of the year but for Flaherty he doesn't give up any runs however he was not exactly in total control of uh, of this of their uh, of his first start either because he issued seven walks, which it was just kind of a, it was a weird day, but give him credit. He didn't give up any hits and he was able to really um, kind of navigate through the walks that he issued. So that's going to be the big question going in to tomorrow night's game is how much control he is going to have. Uh, Jordan Montgomery and Jake Woodford are the scheduled starters in games two and three of that series for the Cardinals. And of course we'll have the, all the action for you right here on KMOX tomorrow, seven 10 first pitch. I've got you for Amber and total access beginning at six 15. Do us a thank? What a, what a lineup of guests we had today. This was a fun show over the last two hours. If you missed any of it, you can always find it on the sports open line podcast at KMOX.com and on the odyssey app. Lee Lowenfish, Brian Kennedy, Dan Reardon, Max Brados, all joining us on the program. Thanks to them. Thanks for you to, for being tuned in, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks to Matt Pajeski as well. He's looking at me like, "Where's my thank you?" I'm the guy working hard over here. You're right. Thank you to sports producer extraordinaire Matt Pajeski. Talk to you tomorrow here on KMX.
0: Tune In is the audio platform with something for everyone.